I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket at dr-gen.com. Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg is a mother of three and a 20-plus year pediatrician, board certified, who has called all of her amazing advice and made a series of five-minute videos on everything from feeding and sleeping to safety and all types of parenting issues, which basically every parent out there can use, especially in the middle of the night when you can't reach your pediatrician. So this is like a must do. And she's offering a discount to everyone with code PIP20. PIP20 20 is the code to get 20% off of all of her modules. So definitely go to dr-gen.com and check it out. It's also on a link in my website too, zibbyowens.com. I'm here via Skype with Rachel Berenbaum, who's the debut author of A Bend in the Stars, the historical novel. It was a New York Times summer reading selection and a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers pick. It was also a Boston Globe bestseller. A graduate of Harvard College, Harvard Business School, and the Grub Street Novel Incubator Program, Rachel was a hedge fund manager and spinning instructor before committing to full-time work as a writer. She is a writer and reviewer at the LA Review of Books and DeadDarlings.com from the Grub Street Incubator Program, and also Tel Aviv Review of Books. She currently lives in Brookline, Massachusetts with her husband and three kids. Thanks, Rachel, for coming on Mom's Time Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for having me, Zibby. It's good to be here. Um, you're novel, A Bend in the Stars. So, so good. The characters were so real. I feel like I was with them, like, in the trenches, like, going down the hill, look at the boats, and, like, all the rest of it. Anyway, so good. Can you tell listeners what this novel was about and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, so, um, I mean, on the surface, it's the story of a scientist racing Einstein to prove relativity, and he goes on this quest and uh, gets lost, and so his sister basically goes after him. And Miri, who is one of Russia's first female surgeons, saves the day. She's the hero of the book. And um, it's really about love and the history and science and survival. So it's sort of all, you know, thrown in together. But where the idea came from was I was reading an issue of Scientific American and it said, 100 years ago this month, Einstein was on the verge of proving relativity. He had the theory, he had equations, but he didn't have uh, an actual photograph, which would be a picture of light bending around the sun, a photograph he could only take during a total solar eclipse, and one was coming. So he raised money, mounted an expedition, sent them up to Russia, where the total solar eclipse was going to be happening, only World War One broke out, so his expedition never made it, and uh, relativity was not proven until much later, well, 1919. So even before I put the magazine down, I thought, what if somebody beat Einstein? And that is where I started the book, with my scientist racing to beat Einstein, who's in Russia, who can actually get to that eclipse. And why were you reading this magazine to begin with? Scientific American. <laughs> yes. I'm just like, are you a scientist? Are you, did you, are you like, you were an English major, right? Were you pre-med also? Or is, are you just like an armchair scientist in addition to everything else? Yes. Um, so I am just a lover of science. And, and uh, I studied philosophy and literature in college. And uh, really one of the big questions that I struggled with and still struggle with is what is time? What is this notion of time? 
I mean, a second, an hour, the calendar, it's something we have invented. Um, we've all agreed on it, and it's really important to have schedules, I think, right, to organize, for example, train schedules, but it's just made up. And so what is time? So I really came at it and Einstein from this philosophical perspective. And, you know, he wasn't really even a very good mathematician. I mean, he was better than me, but he was not <laughs> a genius mathematician. He was more of this genius thinker, and he had genius mathematicians help him. I, lo- I, th- I can see the headline. Einstein, barely smarter than Rachel Berenbaum. <laughs> Yeah. The truth comes out all these years later. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Not what I mean. <laughs> um, no, and I love how in the in the book you have all these scenes with time and you have, like, them trying to explain this whole concept to maybe not so bright soldiers and people that they meet along the way. Like, yes, it's important, but, you know, and then taking apart, which was it, a Zenith watch? Or what, what brand did you mention? Right, a Zenith? And, yeah. You know, yeah, anyway, yeah. it was... Very interesting, especially I think about time all the time, too, (laughs) and just how to use time and da-da-da, but maybe not from quite the scientific angle. (laughs) Well, you know, Einstein was in the patent examiner's office working on machines to to synchronize clocks. That's what got him thinking about time, too. And that's where he came to this idea of light because people were sending like pneumatic tubes, you know, blasts of air, all these other things. And uh, so it was very much on, you know, on topic for that time period. Um, I also loved how you have Miri, who's the daughter of a matchmaker, or sorry, yeah, the, the granddaughter, yeah, no. granddaughter of a matchmaker who is, is like on the cutting edge of science of her time, right? She's the uh, newly appointed surgeon at the hospital and breaking tremendous ground and a Jewish surgeon at that, which was like unheard of. How did you, like what, who was the first Jewish surgeon in Europe or in Russia? Do you have any idea? Did you totally fictionalize this too? Did you look in, was that another magazine maybe you were reading about like early (laughs) Jewish doctors or something? Right, right. It was a bestseller. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, so I knew, I love reading books about women uh, with women protagonists who are breaking barriers, who are really pushing, you know, pushing ahead of their time. And so I always knew that Miri would be the center and that she would be one of those characters. And really medicine was sort of one of the obvious options for her because lots of women were midwives and that's sort of the evolution. Uh, So I just did a lot of research and there were two or three women surgeons at the time, but they had in, in Russia, but they had all been trained in France or Switzerland. So I did completely invent her character and put her in the Jewish hospital because that is where people were more breaking, more apt to break convention, more apt to take chances because they weren't really being watched like, you know, the czar's hospital. So you read The Scientific American, you come up with this idea, and then you go into the woods in New Hampshire. Did I get that right? I read that somewhere. Was that, <laughs> is that true? With like, were you, did you have your kids then? Like, tell me this whole, how this whole book went down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I already, um, it was a little bit different than that. Um, <laughs> I already had the kids, and uh, we had moved to New Hampshire for job reasons. And I just sort of sat down one day and I said, you know, what do you, I, I used to write books every night and I had, I'd written like five or six novels that hadn't gone anywhere. I'd queried and, you know, sort of been in the pipeline, but none of them had published yet. And just sat down and said to myself, like, what do you want to do with your life 10 years from now? Do you still want to be trading stocks? 
And the answer was no, I do not want to be trading stocks, do not want to be dealing with investors. I want to be writing and I want to have books published and I want to be immersed in books. And so, yeah, so I just woke up and got to it. So. Wow. And when you approached this book, did you have an outline for the whole thing? Did you start with your characters? Like, how did you work your way into it and then execute it? Yeah. Um, so I definitely knew the beginning and the end, uh, and I knew my main characters, but I actually started with Baba as sort of the, that I made the book from her perspective to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when I started writing that just it didn't make sense. By about page 100 on those drafts, <laughs> I really realized this was Miri's story and Vanya's story much more than it was Baba's. So uh, sort of switched it around at that point. And how long did it take you to write it? Uh, so I started in 2015. Um, and then I applied to Grub Street's novel incubator program. And they have a year-long program where 10 writers we basically sit in a room once a week and we read each person's book once a week uh, and go through it. So I spent a whole year revising in this amazing program. And then at the end of the program, uh, I got my agent at WME, Eve Adderman, and that's when I just decided to go full-time. I was like, I'm in. I got an agent. I've got to make this happen. And then I worked on it for a year with her and then a couple of other agents at WME. She pulled them in to read it, you know, and give comments. And then she went out and she sold it. And uh, she did an amazing job. She sold it quickly. I said, I told her, I was like, I don't think I can last for like a six month sales process. <laughs> and luckily she sold it pretty quickly. And then it took two years though to revise once it was at the publishers. Wow. So almost like four years when all told, writing and editing and publishing, and that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the publishing industry is slow that way. It's usually two years from the time of purchase, unless it's on Amazon, because you have to go through all the editing and then, you know, all of the publicity and the PR and sending out advanced review copies and all that starts a good uh, nine months before your actual publication. I read your dream cast, you had published <laughs> sort of who you would want to star in this movie. You read that. I did. <laughs> People had read oh, yeah. I did a deep dive into you, Rachel, and this is what I came up with. <laughs> um, so you had said Jesse Eisenberg for what for Vanya, and I thought it would be more like Adam Driver. Do you know who I, I think? think that's much better. What do that's you think? Yeah, better. okay. Um, you had I'm said, sure I could just be jumping to do it, too. <laughs> <laughs> you said Gal Gadot um, for Miri, and I yeah. thought maybe more like... I don't know, maybe Minnie Driver and Natalie Portman. I'm thinking a little, I don't know. What do you, what do you yeah. think now? Do you have any new views on casting? Yeah, I mean, I, st I still love Gal Gadot. I just think, yeah, I like the strike that she brings. Right. But uh, I have to admit, I don't feel like casting is really my strength. <laughs> like, I won't hold you to it. I was just curious. <laughs> But uh, but it is fun to talk about because it has not been optioned yet, and I would love to see that happen. Awesome. Um, I also read your essay from the Jewish Book Council, which you called When to Run, um, and you discuss the advice from your great aunts, which is that you always have to be ready to run. And when you asked your great aunts, how will you know when it's time, and they told you, you'll know. And then when you went to Israel and you were sharing the story with all of these groups of elderly people, everybody was nodding their heads in agreement and, and basically everybody was saying the same thing. Tell me a little more about your experience with some of those sort of survivors of this period of time. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it was really moving because the book launched while I was living in Israel. And so I did have the chance to do about a dozen events in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv, and in various other places around there. And it was it was very different because the survivors really stood up or, you know, grandchildren of survivors and really saw it as a story of survival. And while I know and I wrote it as a story of survival, I was a lot, I spent a lot more time, you know, on character development and a love story and science and really dug into that. And sort of the survival wasn't as uh, front and center for me by the time we got to publication. And then I realized, no, this is really what started the book. And so they sort of brought me back to that center and to my great aunts who had, um, you know, always reminded me to make sure my passport is ready to go and that I have emergency money. And so it was like, it was, it was very emotional. And, uh, and I was so struck with how open they were and um, just willing to share. So, it, and it was very different from now American audiences where sometimes I hear those stories, but more often than not, I hear a lot of, oh, I hadn't realized that anti-Semitism was that bad in Russia at mm -hmm. the time. I mean, I knew for World War II it was very bad, but I didn't know World War I and pogroms, or they didn't, didn't have as clear of an understanding of what it was like to live as a Jew in Russia. And so, you know, it, it's been, it was a very big contrast that was very striking to me, which is why I wrote the essay. Do you think that there are places that your aunts would tell you to run from now? Hmm. Well, definitely Russia. If we were still there, we would we would be out of Russia in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, seriously, though, it is a uh, I mean, there are millions of people every day who are asking this question and who are running and who are stuck at borders or on boats or, you know, in horrible, horrible positions. And so it is as relevant today as it was then for my family and for Miri and Vanya. And it's heartbreaking. Um, but really, you know, what's at the center of this need, this desire to run is this hope for a better life. And so there's actually this underlying optimism that I always try to look for because otherwise it's just so heartbreaking. But this idea that there is a better life to come and I will sacrifice this or what it takes to get there for my children um, or for my future. And, and so I, you know, I think that's just important to keep in mind. Do you feel that you connected more with your Judaism through this story, through the writing of it? Or do you just feel like that was a means to an end of telling the story you wanted to tell? Or did it affect you? Did it not affect you personally? Yeah, um, that was an interesting question because uh, I didn't, it didn't, my connection didn't change at all. Um, and it didn't, uh, I guess, if anything, what, what I learned about my Judaism is that I've always grown up with two calendars. And on one calendar, I have the Jewish holidays and like, you know, when Shabbat starts. So Jewish time is counted differently um, from what we observe here in America. Days start at sundown and end at sundown, not 12 to 12. And so, you know, my whole life I'd grown up, you know, well, Rosh Hashanah starts tonight. And people would say, yeah, 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 but really it's tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, if they weren't Jewish, they didn't understand. And so it more clarified that uh, I have spent a life living on two calendars without explicitly explaining that to many people. And mm -hmm. so that was maybe the only difference. But And it was, so, it was so cool how you structured the book by each month of the Jewish calendar and what that meant and everything, all the different timelines. Yeah, thank you. So I did that because I really wanted to highlight that there are different ways of counting time mm -hmm. and to come back to this idea of what is time and how do we measure it and to show that there are different calendars, different days, different ways of understanding. 
And why were you living in Israel to begin with? Like, why have you been moving around so much? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We just decided, um, you know, to go take a sabbatical and just to take a year and go live there. So So neat. I feel like you don't hear that as much these days. I don't know. People just like (laughs) up and checking other places out. That's nice. Refreshing. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Um, So your next novel is called The History of Time Travel, coming out in 2021. What can you tell me about that? Yes. So, um, again, it is an intergenerational story. It's three generations of women in one family from Russia to America. Again, you see the theme there. Um, Each generation. (laughs) Thank you for the show. (laughs) In case I missed the the subtlety of that. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. (laughs) And each generation invents a piece of the time machine. And uh, that they use at the end of the book to save the family. Ooh. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's been really fun. And um, again, going back to relativity and Einstein and this idea of what is time. Um, is there a difference between the past, the present, and the future? <laughs> and what would you do if you could change the past? Wow. And does this involve a DeLorean in any way? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so neat. So, how far along are you in that process? Um, so I finished the whole draft last year and sold it. So now I'm just going through that editing process and, uh, we have to decide it will come out sometime in 21, but you know, not sure when, and that kind of, all those fun details start to wrap up. And do you already have ideas for your book after that? Or are you just like, (laughs) yes. So, I mean, the crazy thing about publishing is how slow it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and on the one hand, it's frustrating because, you know, I'll write, you know, I'll send 100 pages or 300 pages to my editor, and then I have to sit and wait. And we're so used to, I'm so used to instant gratification, right? I should hear from her in 10 minutes or tomorrow. But actually writing and thinking, um, it takes a long time, and it actually becomes a better book the longer that it simmers and goes back and forth. And so there'll be like a month, you know, six weeks before I hear back. And it's worth the wait because then, you know, they're really interesting comments and ideas coming back and I can restructure and change. But during that time, like, I'm not just going to sit here. I'm going to work on the next book. <laughs> so, yes, the next book has started, but uh, is not formed enough to talk about yet. But it's 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 out there. So how many hours a day do you sit and like, write? Like, do you have a set? Do you always do it? Like, when, when do you like to write? Yeah. Do you do it right so, where? Anyway, yeah, tell yeah. me. Yeah, so um, I love to ask writers this question, too, because there's so many different ways that writers work. Um, For me, I'm pretty structured, um, and as soon as my kids are out the door, I sit down and start writing. And um, I usually work on my novels from about 7.30 till, like, 2, about 2, my brain just sort of sputters out. (laughs) And then I can switch over and... I'll read or do some of, uh, like, I, I love to interview authors as well, not on podcasts, but written interviews. And so uh, I'll work on those or look through books, you know, for my next interview, that kind of thing. Yeah, so we share this love of interviewing authors. What do you think yeah. it is? I mean, I was trying to analyze myself, like, what is it I love so much about doing this? What do you, can you articulate what you love about doing it? I don't know if I can. Really hoping... <laughs> I was really hoping you would have a good answer. Um, <laughs> I know, because then I was going to use it. Uh. Um, I I guess, I mean, I just, there. like, if you experience a situation, you walk across the street, and you have 10 authors walk across the street, they're going to write 10 different 
you know, descriptions of walking on the street and what they see and experience is all so different. And I guess I just love that, right? 10 different ways to read about. And, and also they're all such different people. Like we're all a little bit, you know, we come from different backgrounds, different ideas, and I guess it's always just fascinating and the personalities and the way people react to questions. Um, you know, some authors are more closed off, some are more open, some are more patient. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a love of, so what do you think? Um, yeah, I just find it so interesting sort of, sort of how they, how people come up with stories and how they bring those stories to life and then how they describe doing that and what their lives are like. And I always learn something from everybody. And I don't know, I just, I don't know, there's something about the magic of storytelling that makes me drawn to authors, I guess. And um, oftentimes they just tell their life story in such a nice literary way. I don't know. Um, do you, you said, you know, you don't have a, a podcast, although you just should like do that. You have so much spare time, but you, <laughs> when you interview them and it ends up in print, do you do it over the phone or do you send them questions and they type up their answers? Like how do you conduct your interviews? Yeah. Um, so my favorite part about the interviews is getting to talk to the author mm -hmm. or like this, right? Right. Yeah. Know somebody a little bit better. Um, so I will often send a couple of questions and then we'll schedule, you know, like a half hour block and then talk through some things. And it, it's, it's just so interesting how different authors approach the industry too. Like some, uh, are really excited and just glad to be out there no matter what. And some are a little more, you know, uh, picky about what is said around the book. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I get it cause you work so hard and you want to make sure that your message is out there in the right way. Um, and I, and I, I sometimes really enjoy pushing back with, you know, pushing back on some of the things that authors like to think their story said, but maybe it said something else to me. And that's where it gets interesting. Ooh, yeah. that's cool. And so if people are looking for your author interviews, where can they find them? LA Review of Books. Well, you can find everything. All the links are on my website, of course, rachelbarenbaum.com. And then I do them for LA Review of Books. And then Grub Street has a blog called Dead Darlings. And starting soon, also Tel Aviv Review of Books. Awesome. Um, with all of your experience, what is some parting advice you can give to listeners? <clears throat> Writing advice, aspiring authors, <laughs> authors who are about to be interviewed. <laughs> you have spoken to more authors you might know better than me I think you know people always uh people often ask me how do I start is there a book that I can read that will help me figure out how to write fiction and I always just like to tell people just sit down and write that's where you can start because even a really crappy you know first five pages is better than no first pages <laughs> and just starting because you can always erase it all and go back to it or wherever, but you, you just have to start and you can't be afraid to put words on the page because I can't tell you how many terrible words I put on the page and sentences come out of me until I get to a good one. And, and I think that is one common thread that I've seen from every author that I've ever interviewed. You just write so many terrible things until you get to something that's good. <laughs> Unless you're Toni Morrison. <laughs> every sentence, or she wrote every sentence beautifully, and she was sort of famous for that. <laughs> and what, what, so the, all the books that you said, like, whatever happened with those first five or six novels that you wrote? Are they just on the shelf, so to speak? Yeah, and I don't think they're ever coming no. off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
you know, I, you try like when I was in, when I just got out of college, I wrote this whole book with a woman who had no name because I was exploring this idea of identity and, you know, feminism. And if you name a woman or you name, you know, beauty, is it actually beautiful or is it, you know, something, a commodity, is it something you want? And I don't know, it was, you know, steeped in, um, all these, you know, feminist class and uh, women's studies classes that I took in college. And I, I love the ideas still, but I don't think anyone ever actually wants to read that book. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, too funny. You know. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> but what's the best advice you've ever heard from authors? I want to know this one. Best advice. Um, so I'm trying now to finish up a novel of my own. I hate to even say that out loud because I might never do it, but um, someone came on and I have to go look through my notes to remember who said this, but they said, just open the document every day. Just ah. open the document. There's something you can do if you don't just, you can edit, you can reread, you can just get in the document and like spend, maybe it was Kelly Corden, spend time in the document and that will help. And yeah. I keep like putting it off and in the back of my head, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just like, you know, I should really read these next five books or I should do, you know, plan this gymnastics class for my daughter. I don't know, whatever it is that fills all my time every day. And in the back of my head, I just keep hearing like, just open the document. Just like, yeah. look, even if I look at it, it will, it will inspire something. But I don't know. I don't really take that advice. And um, I'm not, I don't know. But I, I liked that advice. <clears throat> yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. I don't know. Anyway, well, thank you for sharing your time and your expertise and all the rest of it. And I hope one of these days we get to hang out in person. And um, but thanks for yeah. thanks for all the yes, time. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I think you are building great things. I'm a huge fan. Oh, so thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Authors. <laughs> thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks, Abby. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books was sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket by Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg, dr-gen.com. Enter code PIP20, PIP20, for 20% off of these can't-miss modules that will make your parenting life so much easier. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.